have you ever thought to yourself, I want more? I want more than I'm experiencing. I want more than what life has given me. In fact, I feel like I was meant to live life for so much more. And for a lot of us, that's why we moved to the Bay Area. Uh, that's the, the, the journey that we've been on because for many, the Bay Area is the land of more. It's where more is possible. I mean, that's why a lot of us live in closet-sized rooms or actual closets. <laughs> that's a real thing. And bless your heart if that's you. You're welcome here. But why? <laughs> why, do we do the, why do we do that? Why do we go through this? Because we want more. I mean, we might have a lot, but we want to turn a lot into more. And you might be listening to this and you might be thinking, okay, I really feel like I don't have a lot, but yes, I want more. And in fact, since I don't feel like I have a lot, I want immeasurably more. So we work and we sacrifice, but sometimes, and in some things, our quest for more however innocent and however selfless it is, we can find ourselves in this quest not moving. We can find ourselves just immobilized and not taking a step because the fear, the fear that risk brings, it stops us. It immobilizes us. And the chance for immeasurably more becomes measurably less. In a parable that, that Jesus gave, there were three men who, were, uh, worked, who worked for a master, and their master in this parable went on a long journey. And before he went on this long journey, he entrusted his uh, three servants with bags of gold, and he said to multiply the bags of gold when he was gone, to move, to do something, to try to turn the gold into immeasurably more. Jesus said, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, other, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. 
His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have not even what they have not will be uh, taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, in Jesus's time, a parable was an earthly story with, with a heavenly meaning. And just to break down this parable a little bit, the master in the story is God and the servants in this story is us. And in this parable, Jesus is telling us how to act regarding the coming kingdom of God. And he does this by taking or by talking about bags of gold, the things that that, uh, have value that have been entrusted to us. Now, I want to break down this this word that's used for gold. In in the Greek, the word is uh, talenton, which means talent. And in some translations, it talks about um, talents and and the master giving his talents. And it's out of that Greek word that we get our English word talent, uh, like unique skills. It's derived from there. But in this context, talent was a certain like unit of monetary exchange. Basically, it was a particular amount of money. And now most say when when talking about this passage, when scholars kind of research it, they say that each talent was likely, just each like bag of gold was likely like 20 years of salary just in that bag of gold, which in any culture you're in, that's a lot of money. For example, uh, if you take like the average yearly Bay Area salary, somewhere around uh, 80,000, thanks Google, look that up. Uh, uh, When you take that, like one bag of gold in our context, in our culture would be like $1.6 million. You almost have enough for a nice down payment on a house. (laughs) Thanks Bay Area. But in Jesus's culture, in Jesus's culture, one bag of gold was a lifetime of money. And at the beginning, before he, before he even did anything, at the beginning of this parable, when the master was talking to his servants, he gave them what might and what probably felt like immeasurably more than they could ever have imagined. Now, since most things, like the word immeasurably, I want to talk about that. Since most things actually can be measured like one way or another, I know scientists who do research are like, I don't get what that word means, immeasurably. Yeah, in the New Testament, uh, I didn't mean to like make fun of people. My glasses <laughs> actually slipped. No, no, I'm just so good. Like everyone's going to leave now. That's awesome. No, but anyway, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the thing about the word immeasurably, they're like, oh my goodness, um, just give me a microphone and I'll say the weirdest things. But... <clears throat> And to talk about that word immeasurably, in most contexts that that word is used in the New Testament, it actually is translated as exceedingly, exceedingly, or even an overwhelming amount. So here, Jesus is saying that God is an exceedingly, an overwhelmingly, an immeasurably generous God, and he has blessed you abundantly even though it might not seem like he has or felt like he has, that all of your talents, all of your individual gifts, your voice, your brain, your eyesight, your hands, your feet, your ability to love, your ability to breathe your next breath, 
has been given to you by God. And why? Because he's a generous God. He's not like a master who doesn't care about his servants. He's like a master who gives to his servants and says that you're not actually just my, you are my children and you will inherit my kingdom. So here, here's immeasurably more, but don't just take it and bury it. Use what I have given you to multiply it. Don't hide it, share it, grow it. So we have these two servants at the beginning of this parable and they take what was given to them and the two servants actually leverage it. They multiply it. And it says that their master was gone for a long time. And in that long time, they used their gifts. They grew their gifts, which begs us to ask, what have we done with the gifts that God has given us? Have we used our gifts? Have we grown these gifts? And when the master returned, he said, well done, Good and faithful servants, come and share in your master's happiness. Within that culture, that also meant, come to my banquet table and eat with me. Let me share with you what is mine. And then he entrusted them with even more. But then we get to the third servant, who was also given much. Yeah, it wasn't as much as the others, but it was still a lot. And he was told to do much with the much that he was given, but as the parable goes... We learn that he didn't. He didn't leverage. He didn't multiply. In fact, he didn't make the money move. Instead, he took it and he buried his talent. He buried his gifts. He didn't even take a step by putting it in a bank where at least he would have gained some interest. And why? I mean, why did the other two do that? And why did this man not do that? It's because he said, I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. You see, fear kept him from taking a risk. The other two took a risk, but the third didn't. Now, risk is exposure to the uncertain possibility to loss. And in this parable, it talks a lot about investing money. And the thing about money is that when you invest money, it's you, you take a, rate, a risk. Sometimes investments, there's, there's great risks, and sometimes there isn't that big of a risk. But if you ask a lot of people in the Silicon Valley who do a lot of invest, investment, they will tell you that no matter what, anytime you're investing, there's a certain amount of risk. And in this word risk, in this idea, in this action of risk, this mindset, we take risks every day, some big, some small. A lot of you drove your car here. Driving in your car, you take a risk. Asking someone out on a date, you take a risk. When you uh, take a new job, a lot of us are here because we took a new job. When you go to a new school, when you go to a new place, you take a risk. You see, taking a risk is leaping into something that's uncertain. And sometimes it'll work out, but sometimes it won't. But what's important to know is that the outcome of our lives can be determined by the risks that we take and the risks that we don't. And in this parable, we have the master talking with the third servant, asking him, why did you not risk? I'd given you more, and I'd ask you to take that more and to turn it into more, and all you needed to do was risk. 
And when he commended the first two, Jesus established risk as a necessary component to discipleship. But to the third, he said, you're wicked. But wait, what? You're wicked? Really, Jesus? He's wicked? That's kind of harsh. I mean, lazy, yes, he's lazy. Fearful, yes, he's fearful. But wicked, I mean, come on, Jesus. Wicked, I think you're going a little bit too far. But to Jesus, wickedness isn't only the bad things that you do but the good things that you don't do. Jesus is saying that failure to risk your time, your talent, the good that you have been given, that failure to risk your bag of gold so that it can grow for God and others is sin just like any other act of immorality because it's an act of unbelief. And we see this all over the place in the Bible. I mean, in the Old Testament, there were 12 scouts and the 12 scouts were sent to observe the land that that, uh, Israel was promised. And what happened when the 12 scouts returned, most of them were overcome by fear, by fear of the people in the land. But here's what God said. God said to take the risk that the land will be theirs, but fear kept them from moving So God viewed the report of the land that they gave them as wicked. They were faithless. They didn't risk. And over and over again in the Bible, we see the ability to risk as faith-filled. Because faith and risk, they go hand in hand. Abraham. Abraham took a risk when he obeyed to sacrifice his son. And thankfully, that didn't happen. Moses took a risk uh, to confront Pharaoh. David took a risk uh, with Goliath. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a risk and said that they would not bow down to any, anyone but God. Paul, Paul's life was built around risk. He worked harder than anyone. He received 40 lashes minus one. He was shipwrecked so that the good news of God of Jesus and his death and resurrection could be spread, could grow about how all can be saved. And when Esther, when Esther was told that her people would die, in one of the greatest moments of leadership in the Bible, she risked her life so that theirs would be saved. And when we hear about these stories of just selfless risk, Something inside of us is stirred deep down in us because deep down in us, we know that we were meant to live in such a way. Sanctuary, we are called to risk. If you're a Christian, then you are to risk because faith takes risks. And we can either take risks or we can waste what we've been given. We can either leverage the gold or we can bury it. Now, here's the thing about risks. Here's the thing about when when you make most risks, that most risks are usually not, uh, that we are not usually the only ones that benefit when we take a risk. Other people benefit too. And that's what this parable is all about. That's what the kingdom risks are all about. I have a friend um, who is also a pastor in the Bay Area. And a little little over a month ago, him and his family uh, experienced something really, really horrible, um, something that he never thought would happen. 
see, he was driving in his car, and uh, he was in the driving seat. His wife was in the passenger seat, and their two young daughters uh, were in the back seat. His toddler was strapped in um, into the car seat, and they were on 280. Uh, they were stopped in traffic, and uh, they were trying to exit. And when all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, uh, someone in a car who didn't see that the traffic was stopped hit them from behind, and they were going just full freeway speed. And with seconds, there were a family on their way to church, to a family on the way to the hospital. And in the same time it takes to just like snap a finger, the trunk smashed, the back tires popped, all side windows shattered, all doors were jammed, and, and my friend uh, and his wife just experienced severe whiplash. And right when that was done, they immediately turned around to look at their two kids. And what they saw, they saw the uh, car seat, it was broken, um, the kids were just visibly hurt, hopefully not too hurt, and they were scared. And not knowing what to do, they, they um, tried to open the doors, but they couldn't, so they crawled out and they jumped out, and in the process, their sandals flew off, and there was just sharp glass everywhere. It was cutting their feet, and they, they had one thing on their mind. They needed to open the doors to make sure that their kids were okay, and they were trying to open the doors and trying to open the doors, but they wouldn't budge, and panic rose. So they started just pounding and pounding and pounding on the doors. And then they remembered that there were other cars around them so, and that there were other people around them. So they started just shouting for help. They started just waving their hands. They were screaming, someone get out of the car. Someone call 911. And again, something happened that he never thought would have happened. No one helped. No one was moving. No one took a step. It was because of shock, a flight response instead of fight. There was a lot of glass everywhere. Was it because it was just sharp glass and it was dangerous? Whatever the reason, they stayed still. And then he said that some pulled out their phones, they took pictures, videos of it, while other cars just kind of drove off. So then, just really not knowing what to do, he started just making specific eye contact with people. And he started looking at people individually and, and asking them to help, yelling for them to help, screaming, help me, help me, help me, but still no one did. And then he said that he felt this cold reality that no one was going to come out of their car and help or call 911. Have you ever found yourself in just like deep need of help? Only to feel a cold reality that you might not get that help. Maybe you've done something that you know you shouldn't have done and you just need someone to speak your value back into you. Maybe you're in a relationship that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you're not in a relationship, but deep down inside, you feel like you should be, and you're just, man, you're just struggling with loneliness. Maybe you've lost sight of your worth, lost sight of why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing, and deep down inside, you feel yourself screaming for help, and deep down inside, you're wondering if someone actually will. For my friend, a, a cold reality of people not moving 
of people not taking a step, of people not taking a risk, began to become his reality. Hope was buried in the ground until, until finally, finally a car stopped and then another one and then another one. And a, and a few people got out of their cars and they, they walked onto the sharp glass. They called 911. They actually helped to unjam the doors so that they could get to their daughters. They embraced their daughters. An ambulance came and they drove off and they began to recover. And here's the thing. When I heard my friend tell me this story, I couldn't help but think about all the times that I didn't move all the risks that I hadn't taken because my fear seemed too big. Because the broken glass of this broken life, that was just too painful to walk on. I mean, even though I have been given the ability to help, the resources, the gifts, the talents, I find myself over and over and over again just burying it in the ground. And we find ourselves over and over and over again just burying it in the ground while people are trapped, waiting for help. And we bury because often burying is the safest thing that we can do. But not Jesus. Here's the truth. When we were trapped, when our way out was jammed, Jesus, he actually came into our circumstance. He took on our, this is the gospel. Jesus took on our pain from the cross. That's our hope. That's what we believe. He did that and he saved us. But here's the thing, church. Here's the thing that we often lose sight of. Jesus didn't stop there. We think he stopped there. We celebrate that he rose, but he didn't stop there. He actually said, it is better that I leave because, because I'm sending my Holy Spirit. It's better that I go because my Holy Spirit will come. Jesus didn't just save us. He also gave us, he gave you his Holy Spirit. He's given us immeasurably more. And then he said to go, to risk yourself to risk yourself for his kingdom so that others may know that immeasurably more has been given to them too. You see, here's the thing. We want more. We want to live for immeasurably more. But as the parable goes, God is not going to give us more if we are not going to use it, if we're not going to grow it. And he never gives us more so that we can selfishly just store, but so that we can selflessly share, to love others, to step on the glass of other people's circumstances, to see where they're hurting, and to use the gifts that we've been giving to help them out. That's the point of this parable. And here's the thing, I know it's not easy I know it might seem impossible to do on your own, but here's the thing. The first two servants, they would have never been able to multiply their money on their own. It takes a community of investors just pooling money to do something like that. They had to ask questions. They had to gather wisdom and seek out advice. They needed help. Esther 
had all her people pray for her. Paul had Timothy. Shadrach had Meshach and Abednego. Risking should never be done alone. To surround yourself with a community that can help, to surround yourself with the God that can help. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, he has given you immeasurably more and is able to do immeasurably more. And why? Because he loves you. And if you've asked him to, he's living on the inside of you. There's power on the inside of you, ready to help with anything. He won't bury our concerns. He'll do immeasurably more. And if you haven't asked him to, if you want to know about this God, if you want to share in his happiness, as the parable said, and, and to, to eat at his banquet table, which that is the picture that the Bible gives us as an analogy of the things to come concerning his kingdom. If you haven't asked him to, what would it take for you to take that step to risk for more? Or maybe you have asked him to have asked him to live in you, to lead your life, but you've been living as if you haven't. What would it take for you to take that step, to risk? What would it take for all of us with all that we have, get, have been given? What would it take for us to choose not to bury it in the ground, but use it to help others, to love others, to multiply what he's given to us, to those around, and then as the servants did, to give it back to him, to give him the credit, to give him the glory, what would your life look like? What would your family look like? What would your work look like? What would sanctuary look like? I dream about that. What would the Bay Area look like? What if we risked? And I wanna, and I wanna close by saying this. My invitation and my challenge for you today, for all of us today, is to risk. In whatever circumstance, with whatever challenge, with whatever gift or talent that you've been given sanctuary, may we risk. May we spread immeasurably more hope and love that we've been given to all so that all can experience the hope and love of Jesus. Now, I want to actually do something a little different, and I want to invite you to just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that right now. Just close your eyes, and, and I want to ask, I want to invite you to think about the area that's just weighing on your heart, where you might need to take a step and risk. What's that area? What is God nudging you right now saying, oh, man, what would risk look like? Go ahead and picture that. I know mine. And I want to invite you to ask yourself, what would risk in this area look like? Maybe it's starting something. Maybe it's stopping something. Maybe it's talking to someone. 
Maybe it's using the gifts that you've been given to help others, to serve others. And I want to invite you that during this next song that we're going to sing, not thinking about what the person next to you might be thinking, but when you're ready, if you're ready to take that risk, no matter how big or small that risk is, to just show it by just standing up. And to let your standing be your declaration to God that you're not going to bury what he has given you anymore. That you're going to dig it up. That you're going to move. That you're going to risk. So that you and those around you can experience immeasurably more. And God, I pray that you can help us. You can help us risk. And God, I pray that during this song, as we're just viewing what we want to risk, viewing maybe what you're nudging us or viewing the things that we should stop doing or start doing or the gifts that we haven't been, haven't been using, God, that as we stand and make that declaration, we're saying that, man, after I leave today, I'm going to risk. And God, some people already are risking and they're not going to stand, which is so good. Help them in the areas that they're already risking. God, help us risk. We trust that you're going to be with us as we risk. Life was meant to risk. Thank you for carrying us and sending your Holy Spirit to help as we do so. In your name we pray. Amen.